Welcome to the Strategic Leader Podcast, a program all about transforming minds and developing leaders. Our goal is to challenge your thinking, expand your vision, and awaken the emerging leader in you. Now, here is your leadership mentor and coach, and the host of the Strategic Leader Podcast, Brian Holmes. Well, welcome, everyone, to episode number 222 of the Strategic Leader Podcast. Great to have you with us. Going to be in a unique program today. We're going to be giving you a peek behind the curtain in my life. Going to look at my first 50 years very closely. I want to share some things with you I've never shared before on the program. It's really the beginning of a two-part feature series about my first 50 years and, yes, my next 50. I hope you're ready. It's going to be a great one. You know, we do a lot of teaching, a lot of training, and we focus a lot on developmental content here at brianholmes.com. And certainly on this podcast, it's always my desire to add value to your life and to equip you to engage your highest potential, your most effective uh, place of service to really maximize what it is you're here to do. On the other hand, You probably are aware, if you've been around very long, you know that I'm a very transparent guy. I I live my life very open. I believe in the value of sharing, learning from each other's experiences. I believe in the value of doing life together on an authentic, a deep level. What I want to do today is begin a two-part series here, if you want to call it that. Really, it's just conversation. Uh, Because I'm not going to teach you today necessarily. I'm not going to lecture today on certain principles or ideas. I just kind of felt compelled to take a reflective look back on 50 years. 50 years is a really big deal. Uh, And this is not to draw attention really to me. It's not not so that I can somehow boast or brag or, or focus entirely on, oh, my God, this is Brian's life. But, you know, we... We really learn from our past, and it's important, I think, at times to reflect on the seasons of life, the decades of life, the things we've learned, the the things we've experienced, because it's those things that define us. And so I thought it might be interesting for you to peek behind the curtain, kind of go backstage on the life of Brian Holmes and hear a little bit more than really I've shared before about my upbringing, about my life, about my experiences, and what has ultimately shaped me into the place where I am today. So that's what I want to do. I hope it's okay that we take a look back today on 50 years, 50 wonderful, glorious years. Let's do it right now. Well, obviously, I could not possibly write an autobiography in a 25 to 30 minute podcast. But what I want to do is give you sort of a Cliff Notes version of the decades, kind of break down the decades of my life. If you're not aware, I just turned 50 years old and someone said, well, you're you're over the hump now and you're on your your downhill slide. I'm like, that is craziness. I don't accept that on any level. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm 
totally certain it's halftime. I'm just, I, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm just getting going. And so let's just kind of take a peek. I, I want to share from my heart. I don't really want to be scripted so much today, but let me just kind of give you the backdrop on how I've arrived at being here now. I was born January 13th, 1967 to my mom and dad, Charles and Evelyn Holmes in the big city of Houston, Texas. <laughs> yes, I was born and raised in Texas. My mom and dad were precious people. Uh, my dad was extremely hardworking. He, he and mom both were raised uh, just after the Great Depression, born and raised during the season. So there was a lot of mindsets, a lot of attitudes towards money and things and hard work that I saw modeled very early on just because of, of how they were framed in their early childhood. They were great parents, though. I was raised in a Christian home. They provided a very safe and a very wonderful environment for us. Uh, we certainly were not rich. I would say we were lower middle income. My mom, as was customary for many mothers in the day, my mom stayed at home. She was a homemaker. She took care of kids. She raised kids. She cooked and she cleaned and she she made an environment. She created an environment for us that was uh, a learning environment, a growing environment, a fun environment. Uh, I, I got to say this. My mom and dad encouraged me to play outside. I, I know this is a foreign concept to so many parents nowadays, you know, because uh, obviously maybe it's not as safe of, a, of an era as it once was back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but the truth is, man, once we were done with our chores and our homework, we were encouraged to go outside, to get dirty, to get filthy, to get sweaty, to get stinky, to play with friends, to run the streets, to do the deal, to have fun. And boy, did we ever have fun. Uh, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in, we had a lot of kids there, and we had sort of a clan. We, we hung out together. We, we'd knock on each other's doors. Can you play? Can you play? Can you play? Can so-and-so come out and play? And man, we did life together as kids, and we had a lot of fun. And I, I look back on that season of life, and I think, what a treasure that is to have had uh, hangout buddies and friends, bicycle riding friends. Uh, we played <laughs> we played baseball in the street. We played football in the street. We did everything in the street. It was just, just lots and lots and lots of fun. My mom and dad sacrificed a lot uh, growing up. They, they did what they had to do to send all three children to private school. Uh, it wasn't like some high-end private school, but it, nonetheless, it was a safe, it was a much safer environment than the public schools that I would have been in otherwise. And I'm grateful for that because it it allowed me, it afforded me the opportunity to be instilled with certain values and certain ideologies that have served me very well at a very young age. I'm talking about like, let me back up a little bit, probably one barely old enough to pull myself up on my feet. Uh, my mom tells the story that I used to, before I could walk, I would crawl over to the big stereo, the record. This is a big cabinet piece of furniture, and on the inside, you'd raise the lid. It would have a big turntable in there and a radio and different things, and uh, they would put music on in the house, and I would pull myself up and just move and shake and dance to the music because there was something about music that captivated me. So at a very early age, I took to music. I loved music. If there was music on, I was moving. If there was music on, I was singing. If there was music on, I was wanting to play it. 
And so I began tinkering around with the piano, and and then I took a real interest in drums. And, and this is how that played out. I don't know why I'm going here, but it's not even in my notes. But uh, my mom would get me Tupperware bowls, three or four or five or six of them out on the kitchen floor, the den floor, and she would send me outside to get me drumsticks, and I would tear off a couple of sticks from a tree, and I would use those limbs as drumsticks, and I would play, man. I would play. I would play. When I was a little bit older, they bought me a kind of a toy set of drums, and then a little bit older than that, I got this monster set of drums, real drums, Ludwig drums, and uh, half of our living room was filled up with this drum kit, and I would play for hours on end to the stereo music. I became a really exceptional drummer. I played in church from the time I was 11 years old all the way forward. And uh, yes, we had drums in our church. And we did the deal, man. I just, I loved music. And then uh, when I was about 13 years old, I played on my first recording project. Uh, it's kind of cool. I still have copies of that album with my name on it, which I think is pretty neat. I would be embarrassed for you to hear the music. It was uh, country gospel, but nonetheless, it was solid and it was good. So I grew up playing music uh, as I went into high school and ultimately my adult life. Man, I just played and played. But those first 10 years were just glorious years. Also in my early years, those first 10 years, I, I had a an infatuation with airplanes. I, if I saw an airplane flying through the air, I was just blown away. I was excited. I wanted to know more. And my dad would buy me little coloring books and eventually textbooks and all kinds of things. And I would climb up in my little treehouse at seven, eight, nine years old, and I would sit and watch airplanes go overhead because we lived just a few miles from the landing end of one of the runways at Houston Hobby Airport. So my love for aviation began in those first 10 years. Let's talk about the, the second decade, 11 years old to 20 years old. I, I was in front of people, as I mentioned, from a very early age, playing drums uh, in elementary school and in junior high. I was always in uh, school plays and dramas and musicals uh, because that was just my, my my shtick. I loved music. I loved being in front of people, and I was used to it. And, you know, I would stand up in front of people, and I would perform, and I would practice preach, and I would do all kinds of crazy stuff because I just, I guess early on, I was shaped and wired to be in front of people. At 11 years old, many of you have heard me tell the story, uh, a real tragedy took place in my life. I was abused by a guest in our home. And that abuse led to a lot of brokenness, a lot of uh, really horrible habits and things that caused me to bring a lot of anger and guilt and shame and identity crisis into my junior high and high school years. I, I was just a messed up kid. 11 years old, you don't know how to deal with certain kinds of trauma. You don't, you don't have the mental development physio physiologically or emotionally yet to know how to deal with that. And so the human uh, brain works like this. You compartmentalize it and put it away, and it just begins to eat at you. And so at a very young age, I was disadvantaged by having experienced this real tragedy. Uh, as I came into my junior high years, there were the indications were there. I had a very hot temper. I was very quick to anger. I was very emotional and very uh, moody at times. And I had a lot of challenges throughout my junior high and my high school years that related back to the experience, uh, various addictions, various tendencies, things that, that I wanted to explore very prematurely. And these things continued to pile on the emotional damage that was being done to my heart. And uh, 
one of the the highlights, I guess, or the the positive elements of my high school years was I was a a basketball star. I mean, I was one of the main players on our team. We had a state championship team three or four years. Uh, we competed as a small private school. We competed with public schools all over the city of Houston. And uh, we were known actually in the city as this little school that had a really awesome basketball team. And I was one of the guys that made up that team. And that was nice because it did add some sense of value and worth. Although I will tell you as a, as a kid, there was a lot of contradiction going on inside of me especially looking back on it now, around 13, 14 years old, I recognized, uh, and I'll use a terminology here that may not be familiar to some of you, but I recognized that there was something special that I was called to do. I, some would say that I, that I had a call of God on my life, and I, I guess I became aware that there was a distinct purpose there. There was something that I was created to do that was big. And I, I had no way of understanding that. I certainly had no mentors in my life that were going to foster that in a healthy and a productive way. But but I knew inside. And that knowing was enough for me to recognize that the environment that I was in, especially the religious environment that I was in, uh, that there was more. There was I was hungry for more. There was something pulling on me. I was discontent. I was not dishonoring, but I was discontent because I felt like what I need to become the best me is not here in this place. I've got to find, I've got to search, I've got to seek out something that's bigger than what I'm getting here. At 16 years old, uh, with my parents' blessing, I left the church that I'd been raised in and shifted over to another congregation and there found some real important mentors in my life. That process and that season was really pretty interesting. From 16 years old to about 19 years old, I was there and I was able to to learn, to be exposed to a, a bigger picture, to understand more things about God, about his grace, about the world, about life, about business, about money. And, and I it really was an educational and growing season for me, although I must say that it was also plagued with a lot of, of brokenness and a lot of bad fruit as well because I, I still had a lot of unresolved stuff going on from what happened to me at 11. Uh, 16 years old, I began taking on leadership roles in the church. I began speaking in front of people often uh, around my city, in the local church, and in various settings like scouting and uh, civil air patrol and things that I was involved in. Uh, of course, during this time, uh, I, I have to admit that I felt like an outsider. I, I was a misfit. I never, and I'm not saying that to, to induce pity, uh, I, I'm, or invoke pity. I'm simply saying that for some reason, I just never felt like I dressed good enough. I was good enough. Although I was very accepted and embraced and had fun and had friends in high school that we hung out with and did things with, it just felt like I was always on the outside looking in a little bit. Looking back on that now, I'm like, okay, that was just God's way of protecting his investment, protecting what it was that he wanted me to do. I graduated high school in 1985 and and uh, kind of did a lot of nothing for a year or so, and then I, I went off to seminary for one semester, and I decided that's all I could tolerate of that. Now, later in my years, I went back to school, but, but uh, that season, I went to seminary for one semester, met a lot of great people, made some great relationships, and... I will say that 
that the things that I, I saw there, learned there, heard there helped me in some respects to define what I didn't want and help me to commit to a journey, a pursuit for what I felt like God was calling me to. At 21 years old, I met Sabrina, who would become my wife. It was that one semester at seminary that uh, allowed me to meet a very dear friend, and some years later, that friend asked me to come to Dallas from Houston to play the drums for a special series of events. And while I was playing drums, I saw this redheaded girl walk in the back door and I leaned over to my friend and I said who in the heck is that and that night I met Sabrina and a few days later we went out on our first date and about a month later we were engaged I moved to Dallas Uh, somehow I was compelled to do that married Sabrina on April the 29th 1989 and uh, it was the beginning of a glorious season that we're still in And uh, it was not without troubles and difficulties, but it was a good season. When I got married, I probably didn't even have a job. I I was probably doing some sales gig or something. Uh, I loved sales. I still involve myself in sales on some level. But uh, my father-in-law loved me and and his daughter enough to get me a job at a car dealership. Can you imagine me at a car dealership? Nothing against people that work at car dealerships, but I I was in the service department. I've never worked on a car day in my life, and I became a service advisor at a Lincoln Mercury dealership in Dallas, and it was, <laughs> oh boy, it was an experience. Uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, but it got us through financially. Uh, eventually, I decided to go into real estate sales, and I got my real estate license, did that for a while. Then I went to work in corporate America for a company called the Associates Corporation, and I was a relocation management specialist. That gave me really broad, amazing experience in the areas of real estate. And then I became a mortgage loan officer and a number of things. Then I worked, went to work for Freddie Mac for a season and uh, was a REO management specialist for their REO properties in Southern California. And uh, during those early years, we had gotten involved in a church here in the Dallas area. Uh, it was called Christ Temple at the time. And Uh, I had a very close relationship that was on staff there, and it was just the right place for us to to be postured, to be positioned for healing, for restoration, for grooming, for equipping, all those things. It was just a great place. All of those wonderful years, 21 to 30, was a struggle because my issues from childhood were becoming more intense, more prevalent, more magnified, and and the most of the issues we had going on in our marriage were because of my brokenness. And it was a very difficult season. It was so good in so many ways, but so difficult in so many others. 1995, still uh, prior to becoming 40 years old, uh, this is 21 to 30, actually, uh, before I turned 30, actually, uh, my son Christian was born, our first child, and boy, was that a game changer uh, in so many ways. Uh, 1996, I met a mentor that would fundamentally change my life. His name is Bishop Tudor Bismarck. And uh, in 96, also, I made my first trip overseas. And that trip to Africa would be a major pivot point in my life. Because not only did I fall in love with Zimbabwe, not only did I fall in love with the continent of Africa, 
but I literally fell in love with nations and the nations would always be in me from that point. I just, I, I've been to 18 countries now. I've had the privilege of serving people on a number of continents and it has just changed me in so many ways. Well, let's go into my 30s now, 31 to 40. I began traveling extensively with Tudor Bismarck in 97 and that experience was like a graduate level education because for six or seven years we were traveling some 90 to 100 days a year in all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of situations with different types of people groups and I was learning so much about how to serve people. In 1998, my precious daughter, Abigail, was born. And, uh, of, of course, again, uh, you know boys are awesome. I love my son. He is the apple of my eye. But, boy, when that girl was born, holy goodness, uh, another game changer, awesome day, beautiful, precious gift. In 1999, very unexpectedly and without any advance warning, my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. Now, you have to know that leading up to 99, my own interpersonal issues, my, my brokenness was, was coming to a head. It was, uh, the marriage was in a mess. We were, we were not happy. It was a lot of uh, strife, a lot of tension, a lot of bad blood. It was just, there was just a lot that was broken and dysfunctional and messed up. And one of the things that I needed desperately was I needed my dad's approval. I needed his affirmation. And for whatever reason, my dad just didn't have it in him to do that because he had never received it from his father. My dad dying at the apex of my own tr struggles was a tipping point that I was not ready for. And that sent me into a real death spiral. And March 1 of 99, my dad dies, and I just went into deep depression and so much anxiety and so much pain and and just so much turmoil mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And all of the while I'm traveling, I'm doing ministry, I'm doing what I do. And and on the one hand, there are a lot of cool things taking place, a lot of great fruit in my life. But as soon as I would step out of the role and out of the function of doing those things, there was this unbelievable turmoil going on. 99 was a bad year uh, for our marriage. 99 was a bad year for me. From March of 99 to March of 2000, there were several occasions where I contemplated taking my life. It was that bad. I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to in any way uh, make this bigger than what it was. But I'm telling you, I was done. I was checked out. I, I had no hope. I had absolutely no uh, confidence that anything could possibly change. I came to believe that I was broken and that's just the way it was. The beginning of that year, we were introduced to a program called Pathways Life Management. The program was written by Dr. Phil McGraw and his dad, Dr. Joe McGraw, now probably some 40 years ago. And the opportunity for me to attend that program came about, and I said yes. I, at that point, I had nothing to lose, and I had everything to gain. I, my, my thought was, God, if you don't meet me in that room, if you don't meet me during this training, if you don't meet me during this process, I, I can't go anymore. I'm done. I'm absolutely finished. I can't do this. Well, what I know is that God loves his kids. And what I know is, is that he's faithful to finish what he starts. And 
in April of 2000, when I walked in the door of that room, I promise you it wasn't 30 minutes, and it was evident that God was going to meet me there. And over the course of, of going through those processes and going through that training, I discovered who I really was. I was able to bring out of the dark this deep, dark secret, this broken thing that happened to me as a kid, and for the first time in 22 years, actually put it out there and say, this is what happened to me. And it began just this flood of emotion, this flood of healing. Toward the end of that program, a couple of months later, I came home and uh, shared with my wife a number of things that, that created even more pain between us but it set the stage for the grace of God to, to kind of come alongside of us and help us to process through and to heal. During that season, between 33 and 35, I, I will tell you that uh, I found healing. I found hope. Uh, my marriage was not only restored to what it once was, my marriage was actually restored to what it always was intended to be. Uh, I, I came to understand what real love and real covenant real commitment looks like and it just it just was an amazing process an amazing season for my life as we came through that and began to learn and understand things about the heart and about the mind and about the soul uh, I, I I began to look at ministry differently I began to look at helping others from a different perspective and over the years we began to travel even more doing those kinds of things talking about personal healing talking about the soul talking about uh, how even though a person might be saved, it doesn't necessarily mean they're healed. And all of those things began to unfold and unpack. In 2001, we began to explore the possibility of planting a church, which we did in 2003, and that was the beginning of another great season. I did continue traveling, and I did continue speaking out a lot, but during that season, we were we were implementing a culture of healing, a culture of transparency, a culture of honesty within the context of what we were doing as a church, and it was it was beautiful. A lot of people were healed. A lot of people were touched. A lot of people were, were changed, I think. I think a lot of people's lives were set on a different trajectory because of uh, our willingness to, out of our brokenness and out of our healing process, to share and to to explore with them the possibility of them receiving that kind of healing as well. It was during those years that I celebrated turning 40, and uh, that was an awesome time. I, I never forget uh, being in a room with a lot of people, well over 100, probably less than 200, but somewhere between 100 and 200 people, and the microphone started getting passed around, and people began to, to show honor and pay tribute and share their heart towards my first 40 years and what it meant to them. And what a humbling time that was and what a remarkable time that was to know that somehow, even through all the brokenness and all the mess and all the nonsense we had gone through, somehow our life had made a difference. That 31 to 40 years old was a, an awesome season, man. It was a lot of, a lot of work. Uh, a lot of interesting and wonderful fruit came out of that. Some would say we had some really good success and we also experienced and established a lot of great relationships in that time. And I look back on that season, and I'm so grateful for it. Just before I turned 40, I published my first book, The Ties That Bind. And by the way, if you haven't gotten a copy of that book, you should. It, it deals with this whole personal healing piece and, and how to untether your, your heart and your mind and your soul from 
things in your past that are keeping you from really stepping into the greatness that's that's there and available for you. Well, that leads me into my 40s. Great decade. Awesome decade. We launched our book. We launched a Ties That Bind DVD curriculum. I was traveling a ton and doing a lot of consulting and, and work in different churches and different leadership settings. Uh, during that time, during my 40s, I began to, to explore and to look at, okay, how are we really doing church? What does it mean to do this thing called life with people that profess Christ? What, what, is, what, is, what did God intend for his church to look like? And I began to challenge some of the limiting beliefs I had formed through my upbringings. I began to look at objectively some of the theology that I held, and I began to consider what would it look like for my life to really be the pursuit, a quest really after God's heart, and just to follow him and see where that leads. 2009 was a very tough year. My wife and I experienced some very deep hurts, some betrayals by people we we consider to be very close friends. Uh, we, we, we came to know what it looked like to, to know pain. 2010 was a year of, of healing for us, a year of walking out forgiveness, quite honestly, a, a year of seeking understanding. And that led us to 2011, which was a really awesome year because that year I became aware of discontent. I became aware that something was different. Something was up. Something was changing in me. And I was beginning to be drawn to something that I couldn't define. And I was becoming unsatisfied with what I was presently doing, not because I was burned out, not because I was bitter, just because I felt like, okay, there's a seasonal shift taking place here. And I need to know what that looks like. 2012, you've heard me talk about this, I'm sure. I went on a five and a half day event with a group of men, and most of that time I spent by myself, me and, and the Lord. And on that event, on that retreat away, on that time of rest, I was invited by God to go somewhere I'd never been, to experience things I've never seen or or experienced, to to follow a path that he had selected for me, but yet I had not yet subjected myself to. Well, my heart was prepared. Remember, 2011 was a season of discontent and a a season of awareness that, hey, something's up. So 2012, my yes was yes. I was like, all in, yes. Wherever that is, wherever you're taking me, I want that. And the journey began. I don't have time to explain to you all the crazy, amazing things that took place over over the course of the next number of months, over the course of that year. But I will tell you this, it was a catalytic season because I I made new relationships that year that opened up worlds to me that I did not even know existed. I, I began to be pulled toward the marketplace, pulled toward the business world, pulled toward uh, collaborating with and working with and uh, sharing with people who are doing business out there, but they are also lovers of God and and wanted to really make a difference in the world based on whatever message, whatever products, whatever services it was that they were working in. It became a quest for me to to find purpose, to find meaning outside of the four walls of the church. And 2012 and 2013 were absolutely years where that that shift took place in my heart. For me, it was not only a spiritual awakening, it was a spiritual 
renaissance because my relationship with God fundamentally changed from being institutional to being relational with my heavenly father where I would get up every day and it didn't matter if I had a plan. It didn't matter if I understood for sure where I was going. I didn't have it all, have to have it all mapped out. It was just that I trusted the process and I knew that if I could stay tuned in that every day my steps would be ordered. And that was 2012 and really 2013 and 2014. 2013, a lot of major changes begin to take place with our, our ministry, with our businesses. A lot of cool things happen in our marriage. My wife and I uh, experienced a real, real big deal as we quested for oneness together in Colorado on a retreat, and it was powerful. It was awesome. It was life-changing for us. 2013, I launched my podcast and my blog, the website you're familiar with, uh, The whole year was a year of journeying away from the old and into the new, even though I wasn't fully clear on what the new was. Well, 2013 was a big year in this way, too. My my oldest child graduated high school and left home. Boy, the bomb dropped. It was unbelievable. It It was a major, major thing for our family, but it was so needed. It was so right. It was so healthy. And also in that year, I began really exploring and opening my heart and mind to the possibilities of what might be ahead for my life. 2014, I'm engaged on a different level with guys that I'd met like Dan Miller and Michael Hyatt, Ray Edwards, Cliff Ravenscraft, and and others, Scott Prickett. I'm just mentioning names here. Uh, Rich Henderson. Just people that I began to do life with, people I began to share life with people I began to get in the trenches with and work through things and help and and build up and sharpen each other, it was just a glorious year of transition and growth. I began to really focus on my own personal development, my leadership development, on coaching others and sharing my experiences with others, and, of course, continued speaking and traveling. 2015, I joined a powerful mastermind group with a group of folks that have been so instrumental in my life. And I I think 2015 was the year that I really figured out what it means to work hard while resting. And by that I mean you do the deal. You do the tasks. You, you work on the projects. But my heart condition was I'm at rest. It's good. I'm not striving. I'm not stressing. I'm not... I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about success. I know that if I simply walk it out day by day, success comes, meaning is achieved, and I make the impact on the world I was created to make. I have influence where I'm supposed to have influence. I just rested in the fact that I am who I am, and I do what I do, but I am resting, and I'm not striving, and it was a beautiful season for me. 2016, just last year. 16 was a year of clarification. It was a year of of simplification. It was a year of making really important decisions to break away from things that were old season things, to, to discontinue engagement in some areas because those things, really their season had come to an end, and I was just doing them because they were there to do. 2016 was all about preparing my heart to step into 
what is going to be the very most the most powerful decade of my life. Well, January 13th, 2017, just a few weeks ago, I turned 50 years old. My first 50 years have been glorious. I'm so grateful to God for protecting me because there are a number of times I could have died. Car accidents, bicycle accidents. Hey, man, when I was a little kid, 13 years old, I ruptured my spleen and, and died on the operating table. I mean, there's a lot of times when my life could have ended for whatever the reason, but somehow I was preserved and I've made it to this point. And it makes me know in my heart that I have more to do. I have more to contribute. I have more life to live. I have more reason to be here now than I ever have before. Yes, it's a big landmark. Yes, it's a big birthday. Yes, I, I am celebrating and I'm excited and I'm, I, I am grateful for all the relationships, the friends, the memories, the, the love, the experiences. Oh my gosh. It, it's a, I have experienced more. I've been more places. I have, I have put my feet on more soil in foreign nations and I have hugged more people probably than anybody I'm, I'm speaking. God has blessed my life, has enriched my life with so many awesome experiences and so many things. Here's what I know. I am not done. I am not finished because there's more. There's just more. So as I reflect on 50 years, I want to just encourage you. Take time to think back on your life. Look at the seasons. What did they mean? What did you learn while you were going through those? What life lessons did you pick up along the way? What principles did you experience firsthand and those things became a part of the grid through which you see your future how are you feeling right now about the possibilities you know i i meet some people that get to their 50s their 60s their 70s even their 40s and they're like you know what, what's there's nothing else to accomplish to do i i'm just challenging that thought right now there is much to accomplish there are people that need what you have there are thousands upon thousands of lives that can be touched in a positive way because of the work you do. I don't know how old you are. It doesn't really matter. Just take it from, from my lead, will you? I'm 50, but I ain't done. I'm 50, but I have vision for my future. I'm 50 years old, but I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm 50 years old, but I know that the very best decade of my life to this point is yet ahead of me. Join me in the quest. Join me in the pursuit. Join me as we go after everything that God has for us in this season. Next week, I want to give you part two of this, this kind of Brian unplugged deal. I want to talk to you about some of the things I've learned along the way because of these experiences. I definitely want to share with you what I'm feeling right now about my life, about my leadership, about my business, about, about purpose. I want to share with you some vision I have for this year and next year and the years to come. I want to share with you a few things about where I feel like I'm going in this season and what we're going to be doing. More than anything, next week I'm going to come alongside of you and encourage you to set your heart towards the future that God has planned for you. 
It's big, it's meaningful, and it's worthwhile. I look forward to seeing you in the next chapter. Well, you can find the show notes for this episode at brianholmes.com forward slash 222. brianholmes.com forward slash 222. Well, I want you to consider, if you've not already done so, subscribing to our weekly email updates. We we want to share with you when we put out a, a meaningful post, a series of posts, if we have a new resource that we are putting out, whatever it is going on. We've got so many great things happening here at brianholmes.com. We just want you to know about what's happening. So uh, go to brianholmes.com and subscribe to our weekly email updates so you can keep in contact with what's going on here. Uh, I want to share with you that we're in February 2017 now, and as of the time of this recording, I still have a couple of seats available. Two of them have been filled recently, but I have a couple of seats available uh, for the mastermind group, the Strategic Influencers Mastermind. I would love very much for you to be a part of that. If, If you need a group of people around you to collaborate with you, to share their perspectives with you, to hold you accountable. If you want to take your life, your leadership, your business, your ministry to a different level, I want to challenge you that what you've been doing hasn't been getting it done. So consider the value of doing life with a very intentional, very strategic group of men and women who are called to business, who are called to ministry, who are called to growth, who are vested in helping you to achieve the goals, the dreams, the desires of your heart. The mastermind group is a very powerful thing. If you're not a part of one, I encourage you to do that. And if you feel a tug on your heart, you feel like it might be for you, go to brianholmes.com forward slash mastermind and you can submit an inquiry there and we'll talk to you about the possibility of being a part of the Strategic Influencers Mastermind. Well, uh, one more thing I want to mention here before we cut you loose and that is this. Oh, yeah. It's still going on. We are in week four or five right now of the 50th birthday celebration sweepstakes. And the prizes just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We've given away already a $100 Amazon gift card. We've given away already a Clam Case Pro Bluetooth iPad keyboard case that is just the bomb diggity. We have given away a library of essential reading, the Strategic Living Essentials Library, over $250 worth of incredible books that will change and shift someone's life, for sure. We are about to give away the big, huge, one of my awesome, most favorite prizes, the Nespresso Virtual Line Coffee Machine and Arachino. Uh, Boy, if you've never had an Nespresso coffee, you just don't know what you're missing. Go to brianholmes.com forward slash 50 and enter this week's drawing. In the coming weeks, we're giving away a $1,000 coaching package with me. We're giving away a $2,000 four-day defensive handgun class at one of the most elite firearms institutes in the world. Grand prize we're giving away in a few weeks. That's going to be a round-trip ticket to Dallas-Fort Worth, two nights hotel accommodations, a really elaborate, beautiful dinner with my wife and I, and, of course, a full eight-hour day of deep-dive VIP coaching experience with yours truly. I hope 
you are the grand prize winner for sure. But hey, go to brianholmes.com forward slash 50 and make sure you enter to win a prize. I want you in this deal. And by the way, when you enter, be sure to share it with other people. You're going to get a unique URL. And if anybody enters the drawing using your URL or through your Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Google Plus share, you will be given three additional entries for that week's contest, meaning it's going to increase your chances uh, by a multiplier to win whatever that week's prize is. Hey, check it out. BrianHolmes.com forward slash 50. All right. So there's a lot of cool things coming in 2017. We're going to be updating our website, really doing a total makeover of that. We're going to be announcing some live events and seminars here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, we're going to be announcing the launch of a couple of new books this year. One of them is going to be in the late spring. One's going to be in the fall. Got some new online courses coming out. And boy, I've got a big announcement for you. We're launching an, an online university in the fall of this year. It's going to be epic. I want you to be a part of it. So here's the deal. BrianHolmes.com. Go check it out. BrianHolmes.com forward slash 222. All of these links will be there for you. Look forward to talking to you really, really soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Strategic Leader Podcast. We trust that this program has added value to your life and to the development of your leadership potential. You can join our growing community of strategic influencers by connecting with us at brianholmes.com and by sharing this podcast with others who are seeking to take their life and leadership to the next level. May God bless you immensely. And until next time, remember this, you are created to lead.